There's something I hear about quarterbacks, young quarterbacks all the time that drives me absolutely nuts. The team should put them in because they have to, quote unquote, see what they have. It drives me up a lot. Let me talk about it. You like that? Three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, hey, and welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, where we're always trying to learn something new. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And thank you so much to those of you who listen to this show every single day. Hashtag everydayers. I love hearing from you. I love getting questions from you. That's what we are going to do today. If you are new, it's Twitter Tuesday. That is a weekly tradition where I answer your questions. And you can, of course, find Locked On Vikings Monday through Friday at all of your favorite podcast places, including but not limited to Sirius XM. We're also partnered with Sirius XM, and you can find Sirius XM uh, radio broadcasts of all of the games. You can find like the official team broadcasts of all games at Sirius XM radio. You can also find Locked On Vikings on YouTube, just search it out or Amazon Fire and Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app and you can get all of the Minnesota offerings. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NFL for $20 off of your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Today is Twitter Tuesday. I'm answering your questions. If you ever have questions for me, you can always DM them to me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL or at LockedOnVikings. There is a Google form in the show notes you can always pick out if you want. Or if you have something longer and you want, you can uh, send me an email at LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com. Leave a YouTube comment, too. I'll probably get around to those as well. The first question I'm going to answer today comes from Landon Renly, who asks, how much do in-game reps matter for the Vikings' internal evaluation of a player like Jaron Hall? Do they know what he is off of practice, i.e. Mike Zimmers, I see him every day, but the Kellen Mond thing, uh, or is there something to gain by putting him in to see what we have before the next draft? So this drives me absolutely insane because quote-unquote see what they have to me is Almost nonsense. There is a little bit of merit to the idea that being in the game where things are live and you've game planned and executing a game plan that you've prepared the week before is different than just kind of throwing things around in practice that are staple concepts. And then just like the pressure of it all is a different environment. And it may be good to see if that pers- person folds in that greater environment. That said, it's... You kind of saw that in college, too, with someone like Jaron Hall. Like, you, you you saw him execute game plans and stuff, so you can still sort of surmise. And you're really only guarding against the specific idea that he practices well, he played great in college, but for whatever reason, the brighter lights in the pros only on game days cause him to fold. And while I'm sure there have been guys like that, relatively, it's pretty rare. Truly, the vast majority of evaluation that you're going to get on a player comes in training camp. Once you are in practice, there's not a lot of evaluation to do, uh, but in camp, every day is evaluation. You're evaluating the accuracy of throws. You're you're evaluating the progressions, the concepts. You've got preseason, all of that stuff. But once the depth chart has been set, uh, it's set the Vikings decided on roster cutdown day that Nick Mullins was a better quarterback than Jaron Hall they decided that for this season that is the case 
They have the information they're going to have to make this decision. Pick the quarterback you think is going to win. Hophead asks, any idea what's going on slash what happened with Mike Smith and Chris Rumpf? The timing of their leaves seemed unusual, and now Rumpf just took a job at Clemson. Uh, so Mike Smith, no, I do not know. But scouring stuff, it seems like he just like missed a couple games scattered, but he has not continued to miss games. I, I think he's been there for the last couple games. Correct me if I'm wrong there. I, I never saw anything that's saying Mike Smith is back, but typically I will see something that says like, yeah, also Mike Smith is going to continue to be absent. Like typically they'll they'll say, you know, he's going to miss tonight's game. And then the next week they'll say he's going to miss this game again. Um, so I think he's back. But uh, Chris Rumpf was not there. I, I have no idea what happened, why he took like the leave of absences or whatever. It might be because he was trying to get a job at Clemson. <laughs> These college jobs are going to college assistant jobs often pay more than uh, NFL assistant jobs do, especially at these like blue blood programs. So that might be what happened. I wouldn't be surprised to learn it was just a money thing. Could have been a relationships thing. I don't really know a lot about Chris Rumpf. Uh, he was relatively new to here. So I don't really know what's up there, but um, he took the edge rushers job, which was Mike Smith's job. Outside linebackers is what it's called for Mike Smith, but that's the Daniel Hunters, right? Uh, so he is now coaching those where he, he was coaching D-line, you know, Harrison Phillips and Jonathan Bullard here. Um, so I, I have no idea. Uh, we'll probably have to await a report. If it is something that is sensitive at all, a lot of times you got to wait a long time before everybody feels comfortable enough to start like sharing that with reporters. Cam X Storm asks, how would you explain people's reaction to JJ's hamstring injury when compared to Thielen's in 2019? Thielen was rushed back only to miss five more games and was completely ineffective in the three he played, which is the favorable outcome. Um, yeah, yeah, he was like really rough because he came back from that hamstring too early. And there's a lesson to be learned here and perhaps a lesson being applied, even though it's a totally different group of people by now. Uh, in the Jeff Justin Jefferson situation where rushing him back probably would have been a bad, a bad idea. And I think people were not really particularly bothered until the Vikings started losing games. And I think it's a natural thing where you go, gosh, if we had Justin Jefferson, we would have won that game. Well, why didn't we have Justin Jefferson? Is that someone's fault? Can we be mad at them about it? You know, like it's like a place where your brain wants to go. Um, but I think it is absolutely correct to be cautious with that kind of thing. And Adam Thielen's situation in 2019 is like a great cautionary tale for that. They just shouldn't have done that at, that early, like bar none. Uh, and it doesn't matter if if you're just that keen on winning the Monday night game against the Bears. Don't do that. Um, maybe the contract has something to do with it in the sense of like, don't get this dude like seriously injured right before you're going to go into a contract negotiation with him. Cause that'll put like a wrench in the whole thing. And the Vikings should be just as interested in that as Jefferson should. If the Vikings want to keep Jefferson, they should want to get this deal done. Right. So that could have something to do with it, but I think it's also just like good medical advice that does not need additional context to be explained. I have a whole bunch more questions. I sort of meandered on that first one, so now i got to go rapid fire, so that is going to come up. Today's episode of Locked on Vikings is brought to you by Game Time, a great place to find last-minute tickets, flash sales, and so on. It is that time where maybe you're looking for a holiday, holiday gift for somebody, but hey, it's hard to find like tickets to an NFL game and not get just price gouged out of the sky. So 
go to game time. They have flash deals, sponsored deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, theater, comedy shows, and much more. They have zone deals where you pick the section and game time picks the seats and you can save an average of 18% on those if you're all right with game time picking the seats for you so long as you pick the section. And you'll always get the best price with the game time guarantee. If you find tickets in the same section and same row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. They want to beat that other price. Of course they do because they want you to go to game time. So go take advantage of that at the Game Time app. Just create an account and use code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off of your first purchase. That's uh, LOCKEDONNFL at the Game Time app or GameTime.co, C-O, for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-F-L. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. For your second listen, go check out the Locked On Minnesota Sports live 24-7 feed over at the Locked On Minnesota Sports YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, all you got to do is nothing. It'll redirect you uh, automatically. But otherwise, go to Locked On Minnesota Sports. They have 24-7 Minnesota Sports talk. Wolves, Wild, Twins, all of the Locked On shows. This show is on there, uh, as well as all the Locked On Minnesota Sports offerings. The next question for Twitter Tuesday comes from Mario, who asks, with the hashtag turtling of KOC and less so Brian Flores in key situations in fourth quarters, is there any merit at all to thinking someone like Wes Phillips can help with play calling so KOC can focus on the in-game situations and coaching up the QBs in the moment? Um, P.S. What exactly does Mike Pettin do for this team? Okay, uh, last question first. He is, I mean, I, I think he's a defensive consultant. He's been a head coach. Um, I think it's really helpful to O'Connell to have a couple people in the building who have been head coaches, even if their head coaching tenures did not go great. Somebody's just been there, right? Who's who's said, yeah, I've had to deal with that media circus after I totally botched a challenge. Here's how it felt for me. I think that's just nice to have around. Uh, but also as a defensive assistant, he helps to incorporate stuff. He is uh, of the Fangio tree still. It's not like the Vikings are doing Fangio's uh, scheme anymore. That was the Donatel thing. But they do still have elements of it that they have fronts that were kind of Fangio famous and Patton helps to consult with that. But I think he's here for mostly a strategic role, if that makes sense. So it's all going to be behind the scenes. You'll never hear about it. You shouldn't expect to. Uh, with the Wes Phillips thing, I think that we should talk about problem solving, right? So when you solve a problem, first thing you have to do is diagnose the problem. What is the problem? You have to, it's it's like the, the AA thing. The first Step is admitting that there's a problem. What is the problem? And to me, the problem with O'Connell is that he has a philosophy I disagree with. Not that he's overwhelmed with the duties of head coaching and he's making these mistakes out of a sense of panic or anything like that. No, three games in a row. He applied that late game strategy with a one score lead with about three minutes to go. Three games in a row, he turtled. He just thinks that's right. So if you gave the play calling to Wes Phillips, guess what? It wouldn't change. He would just tell Wes Phillips to call conservative plays. And then that would happen because that's how the rank hierarchy works in an NFL team. Uh, so it, I don't think it would change anything. It, you probably would just get someone who's less familiar with Kevin O'Connell's vision than he himself. I mean, who, who else can be more intimately familiar with the vision and understand the, 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 the vision than Kevin O'Connell himself? You probably just have a slightly less coherent offense. I don't think it would fix anything. I think it would just introduce more problems. Uh, Master gave Dobbs the rock. 
asks, what would be the reason to overlook two QBs ingrained in the system instead and instead rework the entire offense to reignite the hot hand that has flamed out? Uh, I, I hear what you're getting at, and I, and I sympathize with it. Um, the answer is QB running is good, and Dobbs can do it. And so maybe you want to have a QB running offense. It also, morphing your offense midseason, if you can pull it off and teach everybody everything right, which is a big if, but if they can do it, like, the Raiders will not know what hit them. <laughs> like, there is no way the Raiders are preparing for a totally different offense. They're preparing for what the Vikings have put on tape so far, like every other team is going to. Um, and morphing in the middle of the season can sort of unlock something. The problem is, by the time you get to the playoffs, those teams, if you do make the playoffs, those teams will have tape on you now, or even just the Lions games, right? They'll have two games worth of tape on this new offense, so they'll be able to prepare for it, and you have to adapt accordingly. But, like, having a major changeup in the middle of the season is going to present huge problems for the opponent, and I think that's the best argument for sticking with Dobbs, and also just the argument of, yeah, we know he had a meltdown, and we're not panicking over it. We think that he can have a better game next time. It's a reasonable take, right? The thing that happened last, like we should know as Vikings fans, the thing that happened last week is not just going to happen again. That never happens. They always find new and different ways to hurt you. It doesn't just do the same thing over and over and over again. That's the Falcons and Chargers. Uh, say, <laughs> Scold asks, say Quasi and Flores, uh, liked Flores more than KOC. Could they, or what are the chances they would offer the head coaching job to him and let KOC walk? Like I wish they would have done with Tomlin over Childress. Man, everybody has this one. I think Tomlin over Childress is it's like you kind of do have to go back like 20 years to find or what, 17 years to find an example of that. Um, you can find a lot of examples of coordinators that got hired and then worked out. And then the head coaching staff that they like came off of did not. You can find a lot of coordinators that did not work out. And you can find a lot more than that. Um, so I think there's a bit of like a negativity, like a selection bias here. But I think the only time I can remember a team actually just saying, yeah, we've got this coordinator we don't want to lose and we're going to oust the head coach so we can keep him was Dirk Ketter in Tampa Bay. I, I'm good on that. <laughs> uh, the reason you brought in Kevin O'Connell was like, there's so many problems with that. For one, you brought in Kevin O'Connell for culture reasons. So getting rid of him and then having the Brian Flores culture, which there are some things that have come out of Miami that weren't very happy about that. Now, the reliability of those things is questionable. There's active litigation kind of like about that. So we'll put we'll, we'll just leave that that box untouched. Um, but the it would be different, right? That was not the vision that the Wilfs that we had. Right. That Wilfs, the Wilfs had for the organization. And also, who takes over the offense? Even this to Wes Phillips? Is he our play caller now? You, you trust in that? I, I kind of feel like I'd rather have Kevin O'Connell. Why are we just getting rid of guys? Uh, and I understand, you know, I, I don't know when this was sent. It may be at a really a time where everybody was really, really, really upset at O'Connell and wanted to fire him because you were in the two seconds after the Bears game. But um, I think talking about it at all is kind of kind of unhinged and should be reserved for only game day emotional outbursts. Any actual serious calls for it, uh, I, I, I think are pretty difficult to defend. Joe Talent asks, I'm wondering if you can talk about why teams draft specific players better than others. The Browns suck at QB drafting. Detroit has drafted tight end well the last several years. 
uh, et cetera. Vikings wide receiver, Green Bay's drafted quarterback. Sure, Luck scouting departments to just understand the position better. So if you want to go that long term, like with Vikings and wide receiver, there is nobody in the building, I don't think, that dra- that was there when they drafted Moss. Totally different group of people that drafted uh, Justin Jefferson. It's Scott Studwell was still there. I don't know. Maybe he was the key to it. But um, like maybe it was uh, Fred Zambrelletti. Like who's even in the building, right? So it's, if it's a totally different group of people, it's probably not that like the Vikings are just real good at scouting wide receivers because the old Vikings were and the Vikings after those were and the Vikings after those were. That's a lot of like different unrelated people. If you were to randomly distribute draft success rates by position, right? You would expect for there to be some patterns. That's just how like data distributes. That like if if it were all just coin flips, some team is just going to win all their wide receiver coin flips. That's just how bell curves work. They just are going to be outliers. So I think our pattern seeking brains are trying to find like a reason for something that really is I don't like I'm not even going to call it luck. That's just kind of like how numbers shake out sometimes. Um, now I think there are some places with really good traditions of certain things, for example, the bears and defense, right? They have this really strong tradition of defense that the owners care a lot about and that they will always prioritize defense or with the Packers and quarterbacks, right? Um, I, I am assuming this got sent like right after Jordan Love had a great game, beat the chiefs, right? Uh, if, if Jordan Love is like the next coming, it kind of would be for the same reason Aaron Rodgers was that he got all this time to like work out all his kinks, right? Nobody else is going to give their quarterback three or four years to develop. Only the Packers do that. So maybe there is a process there that's worth examining more uh, with, you know, patience at quarterback or Jordan Love might not be as good as Aaron Rodgers. Might just be good, but not great. And we'll have to see, I I think for the, you know, what do we think of Jordan Love in the long-term thing? We kind of have to wait to have a long-term sample, Let's see what kind of success they can lead to. A wild card spot and a first round exit. I'm sorry. As a Vikings fan, I have been told way too many times that that doesn't mean anything and that they should have tanked instead. So if the Packers want to go sneak into the playoffs and lose the first game or not really get anywhere, be a one and done, uh, I'm not going to start crowning him the next Aaron Rodgers. But if you want to say like, yeah, the Packers are really good at drafting quarterbacks because they approach that position differently, you can make that argument. But for the most part, like with Vikings and wide receiver, they just uh, they just hit on a lot of them. And it's just kind of how it shakes out. Uh, let's do this. Uh, I'm going to get to as many questions as I possibly can. And I'm definitely not going to get to all your questions. So I apologize for that. But we will try to speed things up even more here for the home stretch. Today's episode of Lockdown Vikings is brought to you by Jace Medical, and in particular their Jace case, which is filled with five different life-saving antibiotics. Look, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on out there right now, supply chain issues and uh, all kinds of weird pharmaceutical things. If you need an antibiotic and you need it fast, that can present a lot of problems. Depending on where you live, it can be difficult to even get to a pharmacy that has the particular thing that you need. Uh, it can be difficult to get that prescription filled because there's something that caused Chinese exports to not come out the same way. Like there's all kinds of stuff that can happen and you don't want to be in danger while like 
something going on in the news is delaying your ability to get better. So the Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial infections that are really, really common, like UTIs, respiratory infections, sinus infections, skin infections, all kinds of stuff that can happen to anybody. Visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It gets reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. Go to jacemedical.com and use code Locked On to get $20 off of your order. Home stretch here on the Locked On Vikings podcast. Next one comes from Ed Helinski, who asks, rarely do football fans read or hear about league disciplinary action against NFL game officials. Are NFL referees and officials subject to fines, suspensions, and progressive discipline like players and coaches? Um, so yes, but I don't think in the way that you mean. They don't get fined for like bad refing. They'll get fined I mean, if a ref, you know, has a domestic violence incident or gets a DUI. Yeah, they'll get fined or probably fired for that. That's a rarer thing. Uh, but you probably mean disciplinary for bad refing. And they do have a grading process that a lot of people don't know about um, that does evaluate the quality of officiating. And then the best officials get to uh, officiate the biggest playoff game. So the best line judge, like the, the Super Bowl is basically the Pro Bowl of refereeing. The best white hat, the best back judge, the best umpire, etc. Um, personally, I think that's stupid because chemistry between referees is like actually a pretty important ingredient to good ref to good officiating. And you just break all that up by making it like an all-star game, right? Uh, but that's the system that works. I also think it is woefully inadequate in terms of incentivizing better refereeing. But I, I, uh, Ross Jackson and I on Locked On NFL, we do Tuesdays on Locked On NFL. You could go check it out. Uh, we actually went pretty deep on this for a little while. Um, and I'm just nihilistic about it with refereeing. It just isn't going to ever be good because it's an impossible job. You can't, you're 30 yards away, you're on the move, you can't see the tiny little nuance between whether the the helmet hit the chest or just below the chin or actually the chin or did it clip the face mask a little bit. And you're, you're, you know, you have to make this like live split second decision. And then it gets compared to the slow motion, 120 frame per second replay that everybody gets to see. And we aren't allowed to use that slow motion replay to overturn the call uh, when everybody can see that it's wrong. And the logistical reasons for that are way more complicated than you would ever think. It's just, it's never going to be good. I'm sorry. It just isn't. Sorry. D stop expecting refs to get every call right. They're just going to miss stuff. Running backs miss reads. Quarterbacks miss reads. Cornerbacks bust coverages. Refs blow calls. It's just part of the game. And you are going to be on the right side of it sometimes. You're going to be on the wrong side of it sometimes. But the thing you're never going to see is a good ref. You can punish them all you want. You can draw and quarter them if they have a holding penalty that's too ticky tack. If you want, you're not the next guy who comes in with all of his limbs attached. Still isn't going to be a good ref. It's not a thing that is possible. JB one forty seven asks: Considering Flores has developed a funky new defensive scheme, do you think he may spend at least another couple years at Minnesota in order to perfect it, almost to work out the kinks slash use Minnesota as a guinea pig? Uh, he is using Minnesota as a guinea pig. That already is happening, and it might be. You might have the causality backwards. It might be because Flores kind of senses that, hey, I've got an active lawsuit against another team. There's political stuff to this. Uh, and maybe a head coaching job isn't necessarily on the horizon. I don't want to just take the first job that comes around, right? I mean, Flores did deny the Cardinals job. 
And I mean, yeah, man, it's the Cardinals. You're not going to get another chance to be a head coach if you flame out at the Cardinals. And it's the Cardinals. Like, that is a broken organization with a bunch of broken things going on in it. So Flores not taking that job makes a lot of sense. And it similarly wouldn't make a lot of sense for him to take, say, the Panthers job, where there's a lot of similar, like, meddling ownership and just a lot of things that aren't going to jive with him. So I think he is very willing to be patient. That doesn't mean he's not going to take a job this offseason if the right one happens to open up. But it has to be the right one, which is great for Brian Flores. It means he can be choosy. And while he's being choosy, he's playing in the lab. I think that's great, but I don't think he would stay in Minnesota to play in the lab. I think he's playing in the lab because he feels like there's a decent enough chance that he stays in Minnesota. Um, and if, if he does get hired somewhere else, he'll play in the lab over there too. And I think a team that hires Brian Flores he's got to know that they're getting into that. <laughs> uh, Skull Bunch of Numbers says, do you think we could look at Pitt's defensive staff for our next DC if Flores ends up leaving? Um, maybe. So here's the deal. I'm going to go way in more in depth on this than you ever asked for on this tomorrow <laughs> on the stuff that Flores stole from Pitt in, and in particular in terms of coverage and what he very specifically did not steal from Pitt. But I'll give you uh, uh, the, the quick broad strokes. Flores isn't running press coverage. Pat Narduzzi loves press coverage. I think what Flores found out against the Chargers when they put up like 440 yards on us and Keenan Allen had a 200-yard day was that you cannot do this scheme and play press coverage. It just does not work. If you ever want to know why do the cornerbacks play off so much, the Chargers game is the reason. They got smoked playing in press coverage uh, like every single time. It was just way too easy to beat that off the line. Off coverage that doesn't require any releases but encourages short hitches and stuff like that is always going to be better. So that he didn't steal, but he did steal some of the zone concepts that Narduzzi uses and all that. But to just take the Narduzzi scheme and say, we're just running this now, I don't think would be as successful as the hybrid that Flores is working. So if if Flores does leave, for me, my favorite move would be to hire from within. Um, I love like Durante Jones. He's been around the block. Uh, I, I would even entertain somebody like Mike Smith and say, but, but we're doing the same scheme. Uh, but you know, he had to train in somebody like Ivan Pace. Right. And then if it's not going to be Durante Jones or whoever, uh, I would probably want to take from one of the Belichick trees, take off of the, the Titans staff or the Patriots staff, um, and try to get somebody from there that at least knows the Belichick stuff, because that's still the bare bones of what we're doing. And then present that guy with, all the interesting Flores things that have been added from Pitt's defense and say, hey, are you interested in still running all this stuff and see what kind of goes from there? But ultimately, if Flores leaves and you have a new guy, that new guy has to, it's got to be his defense. I think I got time for one more. Cody Shoneman asks, is Jordan Addison regressing or is recent struggles the product of unstable QB play? Okay, somebody else also asked about is is unstable QB play making the O-line worse? So I'm going to answer both of those. I, I, sorry, I, I lost your name. So 
Uh, but, but I know you asked about that. So yes, the O-line is looks worse because of Josh Dobbs. Basically what defenses have figured out with Dobbs is that if you, uh, contain the C gaps when you pass rush, that Dobbs will run backwards and it makes the tackles look horrible. It, it makes what would be good blocks, uh, completely ruined. And there, there's like a drop depth thing with Kirk Cousins where he was really disciplined about not doing this and it helped the tackles. But ultimately, the tackles are making the same blocks here and the quarterback is just ruining them all the time. So it makes that look worse. Similarly, um, that is going to ruin some percentage of the times when Jordan Addison runs a really good route and would have gotten a target otherwise, right? So that is going to affect his production. But I think more directly than that, Jordan Addison is just kind of an inconsistent but explosive player. It's always who he was, right? Like he was that guy at USC and Pitt as well, where he would have these like game breaking plays, but he also would have uh, bad plays. He was very up and down and I'm perfectly fine with that as especially as a wide receiver too. I actually, I'm pretty excited about that because explosiveness is absolutely worth the inconsistency. Uh, but you're going to just, you're going to have like stretches like this. Like, ah, man, a couple of rough ones in a row. Yeah, you get him next time, kid. And he'll go make big explosive plays again later. So I'm not like concerned at all. This is I, this is ex- kind of exactly what I expected out of Jordan Addison, who I had as my second favorite wide receiver going into the draft after Jackson Smith, uh, Smith and Jigba. Um, tomorrow is going to be some unhinged nonsense. Oh my goodness, this thing has gotten away from me. And uh, you're going to hear about it, whether you like it or not. So please tune in to my podcast. It's, it's, I'm, I, I, in all honesty, I'm really excited about it. Uh, this is going to be different from any Brian Flores coverage you can get anywhere else. I'll, I'll tell you that much because we now have more information as more comes in as to like how Brian Flores got this, um, got this, this scheme. So very exciting stuff. Uh, I can't wait to share it with you and then get into Raiders mode later in the week. And as always, it's cool.